The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Psalms, uh, 62 verses 1 through 8. I'd invite you to stand in reverence for the reading and hearing of God's holy word. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Salah. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Our God is a refuge for us. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you practicing social distancing. Um, but I am very glad you're here. Um, we are in the midst, uh, in this Lenten season of a Deadly Sins series. I'm going to break some news to you. All sin is deadly. Um, so today we're supposed to talk about greed. And about 10 o'clock last night with everything that was going on and the flurry of text messages and emails. and So we're not talking about greed today. Um, Luke 2 and the foolish man uh, didn't seem like it fit. So I sat there and started thinking, well, what do you do? What do you talk about? Um, what, 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 what do we discuss? Um, I remember when I was thinking about the sermon for greed, there was a time, a couple decades, maybe not quite a couple of decades, but a long time ago. I was sitting with a friend on a back porch, and he had just graduated from college, and he had a high potential uh, for his income in a few years. And he was talking about the rat race that he was getting into and what cars meant certain, uh, certain status and how he should dress and where his suit came from. And he'd bought a suit from one place and he found out that wasn't good enough. And so he was all worried. And he was talking about what he was going to do. And in a, a rare moment of, uh, uh, of clarity, I, I looked at him. I said, you just really have one question that you need to answer. He was like, what's that? I said, you just need to answer the question, how much is enough? And he looked at me and said, what do you mean? And I said, well, if you never know what enough is and you don't have a definition, then it's always a sliding scale and you never have enough of it. Tim Keller is known to say uh, that you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until that Jesus is all that you have. 
And so it is in moments like this, cultural moments, that, that where we're in our global village and sharing in a similar experience to where we get to that place to where our, our anxieties begin to prey on us and, and the worries of the future begin to creep in and we begin to ask that question about enough. And it's in those times when we are forced to, to evaluate ourselves and, and ask the question, is Jesus enough? And it's in that question that we turn today to Psalm 62. In many ways, it's the question that David is asking. This Psalm 62 is a psalm of David. At the kitchen table at 10 o'clock at night, and beginning to discard everything that I was going to do, and begin to turn towards us in a new direction, I had my wedding ring on, and a cute, displaced Texan came that I met via Delaware uh, had inscribed on the inside of my ring, Psalm 62, 5 through 8. And that was something that we were praying for ourselves and for our family, uh, that we, like, the, like David, would say, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. And so this morning, as we turn to this passage, what we see about Psalm 62 is what we see in so many psalms. It's deeply emotional. It's vulnerable. It's transparent. It, it, it is revealing David's heart. And as you reflect on this passage, and perhaps you will do so this week, Maybe it'll stir up within you some of those very same things. You see, David, what we know about this passage is that the context for it is that David was on the run. There were folks pursuing him. This is something that happened multiple times in the course of his life. And what most folks would believe is that this was during the time that when his son Absalom was trying to take the throne from him and was seeking through his armies, to kill him. That's an incredibly lonely place. And so in this passage, we find David speaking about, speaking about his own anxiety, speaking about his own isolation. He, he's in a place of hiding, and he's, he's in that, that struggle. And what he tells us in verse 3 is that he's basically hit a wall. All of us, come to that place. It can happen to any of us. But the reality of our world is it will happen to all of us. And when we come to that wall, we, we, we are forced to deal with the wall. Some of us begin to ignore the wall. We pretend as if it isn't there. And we simply put our head in the sand like an ostrich and just simply wait for it to go away, but so often it doesn't. Others of us begin to do one of two things as we address this wall. We begin to doubt God's goodness and we suffer a crisis of faith. And so we walk away from the Lord. And that's my, my prayer is that that would not be your situation. Or what so many others 
do is that they see the Lord and say, well, that's good, but I need a little extra. So we begin to trust in the Lord and something else. What we so often find is that something else could be sheer willpower. It could be our own drive for success and our fear of failure. And in that, we just knuckle down and press harder. For the others, we retreat into some other place, a bottle, a pill. We go to the gym and sweat it off. We turn to an image on a computer or a movie screen. But it's in those places that that God is calling us out of. And what we find in this passage is that David is offering to us words of wisdom and words that are born in the crucible of his own situation that we can apply to our own lives today. The first thing that we see in this passage is that we're called to wait. We're called to wait. For God alone, my soul, waits in silence. David doesn't have words to add. He simply is called to be patient. A mentor of mine advised me never to pray for patience because the Lord would put me in situations that would teach it to me. And here we find David learning patience and waiting upon the Lord. I I hate waiting. I hate it. It makes me anxious. It afflicts my idols of control and comfort. It makes me want to strive towards other things and trust in my own self. But what, this, what David is telling us in this passage is that as we wait in silence, we turn to God. For from Him comes our salvation. From Him comes our rescue, our deliverance, our liberation from those things that entangle our hearts and cause us to be anxious and depressed and despondent. And he's turning here in this place of waiting as he's waiting for the Lord to show up and in patience and quietness. He's saying, Lord, deliver me. He's saying, Lord, deliver me. He acknowledges in verse 3 that he's like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. And in that leaning wall and a tottering fence, he's saying it won't take much to push me over. Lord, sustain me. Make me stable. Be my fortress. Be my security. Be my comfort in the middle of the night that no one would come and afflict me. He turns to the Lord and he says, for you are my rock. You are what provides that stability. You are what upholds me. And so he's in this place and he's, he's calling his own soul, addressing his own heart to wait. Not to act. Not to run ahead of the providence of the Lord. Not to step into those spaces of, of doubt and the unknown and to begin to run scenarios that keep him up at night. He's saying, no, Be patient and wait upon the Lord. As we transition from there, David gives us another bit of advice. He offers through these words and calls us to consider and reflect. To consider and reflect. In verse 5 he says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. 
my hope, my confidence, the expectation of what will happen. So often what we do is we run scenarios and we troubleshoot. And in those situations, those are our good gifts that many of us have been afforded through the Lord. But in that place, what happens is we begin to turn away from the Lord. And we are perhaps in a place where we doubt His goodness. Perhaps your wall isn't just this situation we're in in our cultural moment with this coronavirus. All of us are in some form of situation. All of us are up against some wall. Some in this room have long to start their family. And after months of trying, they simply have not received the positive response to that pregnancy test. And they ask, how long, O Lord? Others have longed for the Lord to provide them with a spouse. And in that situation, they wait and hope and pray and talk to their friends and their community, and they long for the Lord to, to, to provide that. But yet, week after week, it seems that the Lord is tarrying. And He hasn't provided. And we say, how long, O Lord? Others of us have experienced failure of some sort. Failure in our relationships. Failure in our parenting. Failure in our marriages. Failure in our workplaces. And all we long is to get out of the hole. And others of us are sitting there through this moment, looking back, saying, I just got out of 2008. I don't want to go back. Lord, how long, O Lord? Others are in what St. John of Chrysostom called the, the dark night of the soul. It's the place when his word and when it's preached or when it's read or those times of prayer or the times of singing uh, praises to his name just seem wooden and dry. And it's that dark night, and we wonder how long we can go. We're up against the wall. It's an overwhelming temptation. It's a difficult child. It's a diagnosis that we didn't expect. It's a treatment that didn't work. We're at a wall, and we're tottering and leaning. And we just feel like we're ready to fall over. And it's in those situations that David finds himself, and he calls us to consider and to reflect upon the hope that we have in God. You see, what we find and what we know about God from Scripture is that He is a covenant-keeping God. And that the primary covenant that He has made to His people is that He would be their God and that he, they would be His people. And that no matter what would come, He would never leave them nor forsake them. And so it's the promise of God's presence that He is with them amidst this situation when we are up against the wall. We're called to consider the hope that we have in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who laid down His life for the sheep and those whom the Lord had given Him, He would not lose a one of them. Friends, we are called to reflect upon His promises that He is faithful when we are not, that He is just and that He is good and that He is true and that He is beautiful. And we're called to consider His Word. As the psalm, psalmist says in 119, I have hidden your Word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. That it's in those times that we turn and our souls are called to not be afraid. 
You see, that's the most prevalent command in all of Scripture. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. In all its derivatives, the Lord speaks to us and brings us words of comfort. And He applies mercy to us. In this, as David is wrestling through his own anxieties and his own doubt and his own struggle, we're not only called to wait, we're not only called to consider, but we're called to rest. And if you're anything like me, you don't like to rest. In verse 6, he says, He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I will not be shaken. It's, it's, it's a virtual quote of, of verses 1 and 2. The key to learning is repetition. David's trying to drill this into his heart. And he says, On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. David is speaking words of truth to his own heart. And he is speaking those words of truth that in this place, when he wants to grapple for control, when he wants to recover the comfort, when he wants to move into the unknown to bring about an action that secures the certainty of the situation, he's called to rest. He's called to rest not on his own merit, not on his own strength, not on his own cunning. He's called to rest in the Lord. To be called to the Lord himself, the one who comforts us, who cares for us, who calls us by name, the one who tells us that he is enough. You see, when we come up against the wall and our backs are there, and we don't know which way to turn, what we find in those situations, those storms of life, is that they reveal to us a few things. They expose what it is that we love. They expose what it is that we love. And the way that you know that is happening is because it's the thing that you've been worrying about most all week. It's the thing that you've been worrying about all week. You see, some of us, those things, as, as we have said, are, are good things. But when they become ultimate things, they become idols. And it's in the storms that our idols are afflicted and they are exposed. But not only does, do storms expose our idols, they reveal the nature of what our trust is. They, they, they reveal the nature of what our trust is. Do we believe that God is enough? Do we believe that God will satisfy? Do we believe that God will deliver and redeem His people? Do we believe that He will be a refuge in the storm? Do we believe that the one who spoke all things into existence by the power of His world, word will be able to provide for the world that needs Him so desperately? And as we are in this place of rest as we are finding comfort for our weary souls, for our anxious minds, for our downtrodden hearts and the despondency, He's calling us to trust. He says in verse 8, Trust in Him at all times. Not just the good times. Not just the bad times. He, he calls us to trust at all times. 
And David is issuing this command. Now there's a shift, not for his own soul, but to owe people. You see, David has worked through these things in his own life, and he's turning towards others and says, let me tell you where I have found hope. Let me tell you where I have found salvation and stability and security. It's not in the world. It's in the God who created the world. And as I consider the God who created the world, I'm calling you to look in the same direction that I am. Not to be fixated on the situation that lies in front of you that is, is belligering your very being. No, he's saying, trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. He's saying, lift up your requests. Go to Him and reveal to those things, those vulnerabilities, those fears, those anxieties, those those places of brokenness and imperfection, those struggles that you're having, the tensions in your marriage, the the, the struggles of finances and what it's going to look like tomorrow. He's saying, come and lay them down at His feet. And He says, God is a refuge for us. He's a safe place. He's a soft, place where we can land. Friends, He will meet you in those places of brokenness. And as we're told about the promised Messiah, a bruised reed He will not break. A smoldering wick He will not snuff out. And so if you are in that place where you're feeling weak and bruised and and you're just a smoldering wick, you can run to the Lord and you don't have to fear of being told, well, you didn't try hard enough. You should have just been better. No, what He tells us is that He comforts us and He brings us into Himself and He says, I will be there for you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Do not fear. I am your refuge. I am your strength. I am your security. I am your stability. I will hold you up. He's telling us that He is enough. And when we look at verse 12, we see uh, David bringing, or verse 11, that David bringing this to a resolution. And he's telling his heart, he says, Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to the Lord. He's saying the God who spoke all things into existence, the one who is over all things, the one who governs and controls His creatures, with His most wise and holy and governing and controlling all His creatures and all His activities. His power is unlimited. His power is matchless. His power is unrivaled. He says, run to Him for your deliverance. Run to Him for your deliverance. He says, and that you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. That word steadfast love in the Hebrew is hesed. It's a word that takes a variety of translations throughout the course of the Old Testament. This word hesed means simply grace. God's unmerited favor. His covenantal love, His covenantal faithfulness, His steadfast love that is not swerving. He says the one who has all power and all things that is unrivaled and unmatched This one loves you, and he has set his love upon you, and that he will be faithful in the midst of your anxieties, and that he will be sure and steadfast in the midst of your questions. 
that you can bring your doubts, your anxieties, your struggles, your fears, you can lay them at His feet and He will bind you up. You see what David was looking forward to in his understanding of God's power and His steadfast love and His covenant faithfulness was he was looking forward to the day when God would send His Son Jesus to the cross on a hill outside of Calvary. And that the power of God would be displayed through the brokenness of the Messiah. The one taking to Himself all our guilt, all our anxiety, all our fear, all our brokenness, and taking to them to Himself that He was going to make it right. And though He died and was raised, He was raised three days later and He was victorious. And in that victory, we are reminded in, by the Apostle Paul in Romans that in Him we are more than conquerors. In Christ Jesus our Lord. That in Him we find the refuge we need. And that in Him we find what is truly enough. In Him we find all that we truly need. And so the days ahead of us will not be easy. We will find ourselves in a variety of situations that we had not hoped for when we made our resolutions and promises for 2020. LeBron James already wishes the year is over, and I'm right there with him. (laughs) And we're going into an election year. And so in that, what we do is we need to remind ourselves and remind one another of where our hope is, where our confidence is, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who gives us his grace and shows it to us and delivers us from our greatest enemy, the thing that kills us, and that is our sin. And in that, he reconciles us to his Father, and that we are assured of an internal internal and imperishable inheritance. And so, friends, while we don't know what will happen, what we are reminded of by David is that in the midst of any situation, whether plenty or want, we turn to the Lord for our refuge, for our strength, for our comfort. Let us pray. Our great God and King, we thank you for your mercy and grace your kindness to us, and your steadfast love. We thank you that you meet us in those places of brokenness, that you delight and invite us to share what is on our hearts and what is on our minds. And Lord, that you, in your wisdom and in your power and in your matchless authority, Lord, you have both the ability and the willingness to enter into the brokenness of our situation and to make us whole. Lord, help us to know that the peace and the shalom that we long for, the wholeness and completeness comes through knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, give us faith in times like these. Lord, help our unbelief. Lord, help us to know the promise of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, Lord, the one who has redeemed us, the one who is making all things new. Lord, the one who knows the beginning and the end, for he is the Alpha and the Omega. Lord, help us to trust in him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.